So with that being said, let's turn to the book of Genesis this morning as we continue studying through the Word. Man, an 80s song. I thought I saw parachute pants and mullets. And uh, some of you were hoping we could go back to those times. I was just graduating from college when that year was. I was like, whoa, and some of these young kids are like 80s. I mean, come on. So that's pretty cool, uh, 80s song. Uh, let me tell you another thing. Uh, we're thinking of uh, next month when we go downtown Pittsburgh to share the gospel. We generally go. We sort of set it that we're going to go on the second Saturday of the month. But I think we're going to go on the third Saturday of this month, uh, March coming, because it's the St. Patty's Day Parade. So uh, we're going to uh, talk about some of the uh, logistics of where we're going to meet. And um, we're going to go down there uh, during the St. Patty's Day Parade. I'm not exactly sure, so we'll get back to you on this, what time the parade starts. Uh, and then we'll go down there and uh, pray about it and share the gospel. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, another thing is, uh, you know, our brother in the Lord, Sam Rodriguez, went to be with the Lord this week. And uh, what an encourager. If you didn't know Sam, he called me a couple days right before he uh, went to be with the Lord. And uh, he was such a great encouragement to me and I know to a lot of people who he shared with in this fellowship. He always loved going to the men's retreats and he was a great delight and... Uh, uh, there's more to come about when his memorial service will be, as his son will be coming up from San Antonio. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, you know, sometimes you got to kind of get in this rut, uh, you know, Wednesday night service, Sunday service, take my kids to the youth group, go to the thing, go to do this, da, da, da. And we forget that the Christian life is about life and death. And uh, he's has eternal life. Uh, as his good friend Lika back there said, yes, but he's with the Lord. And uh, he had all kinds of medical problems, and uh, he's with the Lord and loving life and worshiping his Savior, and for that we're really thankful. So that really brings it home again as we continue on in the book of uh, Genesis. It's not that we're going through some sort of motion, but that we're studying and thinking about this grand and glorious story of redemption. God's pursuit of us, that speaks of grace, pursuit. God's pursuit of us so that we can have eternal life with him. It's not just a bunch of moral rules and regulations that we study, but it's finding or him finding us or us finding him, however you want to say it. Him finding us, and that we have the Son, and He has us, so that the issue of death for us, the Christian, is settled and secure. That death here, just this physical death, doesn't mean the end for the Christian. We're just going home. We're just passing through. And of course, we're sad for the people who we love and for the people who love them. But man, are we happy about the glory of heaven. And that's the whole story of the Bible. 
And we're moving through that. Now, as we get to chapter 26 of the Bible, we saw, <laughs> we saw Esau. I should write rap songs or something. <laughs> we saw at the end of last time, or the last time we were together, that Abraham and Sarah had a son, and his name was Isaac, or is Isaac, and uh, his name means laughter, and that'll be key for today. And Sarah died, and Abraham bought a cave and buried her in, in the cave, and then remarried sometime thereafter. And then Abram died. Now you have to remember in Genesis chapter 12, all the promises of God are given to Abraham. He's in the Ur of the Chaldeans, a distant land. And God says to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. Here it comes. Listen. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we're standing here today and saying, praise the Lord. He used Abraham and his line all the way through for our Savior Jesus Christ to come through. And we're sitting here today because of these foundations, these moorings, these underpinnings, however you want to say it. And Eventually, as you know, Abraham and Isaac had a son, we'd said, Isaac. And Isaac grew up and an unnamed servant went into a far land and found him a wife. And her name was Rebecca. And Rebecca and Isaac then have babies. Twins. And this is what it says in chapter 25. And the Lord said to her, Rebecca, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older, who turns out to be Esau, shall serve the younger, who turns out to be Jacob. And we went through that. Jacob was cooking stew, and Esau was weary, and he comes in from the field, and he sells his birthright. And whether that means the birthright that was spelled out in the Old Testament of a double inheritance, or whether it means the birthright and the blessings of the promises to Abraham, or whether it means both, Esau messed up. But God didn't, and God used it, and God was going to work now through Jacob. But we're not done yet with the story of Isaac. And we come to this story, and we think, I mean, if you're not scratching your head at this story, maybe you'll never scratch your head. <laughs> Let me read to you something, verse 1, chapter 26. Maybe you're perplexed. Maybe you read ahead and you're going, come on, is this right? 
Here's what I mean. There was a famine in the land, verse 1. Besides the first famine, that was in the days of Abraham. Now we're going to get into a story where you're going to be scratching your head and said it sounds exactly, exactly, exactly like what happened to dad, Abraham. Because this happened two times to Abraham. One time, right after that promise that I just read to you, Abraham fled to Egypt and did similar things that Isaac is going to do here to avoid a famine. And then a second time, there's another chapter later where Abraham and Abimelech get together and Abraham asks or tells Abimelech, just like he did to the Pharaoh in the other chapter, that his wife wasn't his wife, but his sister. Now, most people believe the Abimelech we're going to encounter here is not the same Abimelech that Abraham encountered. Abimelech quite possibly is a dynastic name as opposed to a personal name. Uh, But anyhow, it's very familiar. There was a famine in the land. But here's the kicker that tells you it is a distinct story that happened to Isaac And it says here, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. This was its own individual story that sort of happens for the third time. There are lots of things in this chapter that are in common with those other two episodes that Abraham, his father, Isaac's father, encountered. Let me read you some of them. Do you know in Genesis 12, I just read to you, and then in this chapter, both men, Abraham and Isaac, are called out or called by God, and promises are delivered to them. You with me? Have I confused you so far? Okay, good. I mean, good that I haven't. All of these are... A couple of these instances happen as a result of a famine. A famine's involved. Uh, Both Abraham, in the one that I told you about in chapter 12 and here, are tempted, or and Isaac, are tempted to leave the land that they're in. Abraham actually does. Isaac doesn't. The other one, the biggie, the elephant in the room, the one that sort of makes you sick, doesn't it? Is that the cowardly man says to the people who are threatening him or his family, because of fear, write that out, say that his wife is a sister which makes her unbelievably vulnerable in all ways that you can imagine. And I don't know about you, but when I read these stories, (laughs) I know the ending, but there's a flicker of anger that comes. Like, 
I mean, how could you? But those are common. Then in these stories, there's this dispute over land, because that's one of the promises to Abram, right? Land promises. And water rights. You're going to see that again today. In both stories, there's a time of worship or building an altar or making a sacrifice. And so these stories look quite similar. But as we mentioned, they're different. They've had their own distinct, they had their own distinct encounters, Abraham and Isaac. And the first thing I want you to know, just because of the similarities, that is very important for you to know as a student of the Bible and a follower of Jesus Christ, is that God, through this chapter, is telling us that Isaac is swept into the stream of the promises that were for Abraham. That's really important because if you were a Jewish person who would come back and read this in antiquity, you would wonder, wouldn't you wonder? Well, he made these promises to Abraham, and I know they sounded everlasting and universal, but will they continue? And the answer, they do. In other words, Abraham isn't on the scene anymore. And yet, listen, listen, God's promise still remains. Now, just as a side note, (laughs) I mean, we just talked about this very issue. We got a friend, a brother, who's not here anymore physically. This week just happened. And yet the promise of God is that he'll be with the Lord in eternity forever. Praising the Lord and worshiping the Lord. And not so concerned about everything about him. And he had a lot of concerns. But looking forward and up. And being in perfect peace where there's no more crying and no more tears and no more worry about doctor appointments and all that sort of thing. And that's a dead, certain, locked promise. We don't see, but it's happening. Why? Because God has told us this. It's the reality. And so even here... Abraham's no longer, and yet the promise continues. God, this story really happened, but God sets it up so that you and I and the people before us will know that the promises were swept up into Isaac and applied to Isaac as he's in the stream of God's blessing. Isn't that wonderful? And that God's word is true and comes to pass. And that, listen, God's immutable promises flow in and through people who have flaws. 
Now that one, you should jump up and down and say, praise the Lord. God gets it done. Amazing. And he provides in the midst of these times and these trials, as we'll see as we go, he provides grace and courage and restoration and forgiveness and security and love and second chances. Sounds like life, doesn't it? Our life. And so there was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And now as you read that, that's what you're going to think of. Isaac is being swept, or the promises of God are being swept in and through to Isaac's life. And they're going to continue. And you'll start to, just even from that first verse, you'll start to praise the Lord because it's true in our lives that his promises never stop, never fail, And always remain. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now I had a map, but I forgot to tell the folks to put up the map. But maybe they could work. Oh, look at these wonderful people. And you're going to see now that it's going towards what country? Down here is Egypt. It's in the south of Israel. It's on the border here that Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Notice that the Philistines, see Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron. You see those cities over there? Those are Philistine cities. But now Philistines have taken some territory, and they're in Gerar. You see that? And so... Interesting, Isaac goes to Gerar, or Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar, who are enemies of the people of God. You with me? They sort of had a colony there. They lived in there. They encroached in and on the territory. Egypt, by the way, as we're going to see, the Lord appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt. Now, this is fascinating to me. Because when he called Abraham, put him in the land, and there was a famine, God just left it up to Abram. There's no real discussion. Abraham said, I'm going to Egypt. Here, I love this. Just as a side note, you know why I love this? Because God isn't put in a box. Here, God says, don't go to Egypt. Later, Jacob, you guys know Jacob. God puts him in Egypt. (laughs) So what's the right answer for my life, pastor? Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do this? Here's the answer. Ask the Lord. I, I don't know. It's different for other people. For some people, yes, go. For some people, don't go. Here, I think, God knew Isaac's timidity. Egypt always represented the world. It represented bondage and sin because the people had been in bondage and sin, right? Or would be, yes, we're in bondage and sin. And it also represented idolatry, you see. Everybody with me? 
And what's fascinating to me is Isaac was told, don't go. Uh, Don't go down to Egypt. Remain in the land. This was what God had personally. I want you to write this word down. Personal. For Isaac. And if I forget at the end, I want you to raise your hand because the last point I'm going to make is hopefully about the personal attention God gives us. But here, personally, God says, don't go to Egypt. That's not going to be good for you. I want you to stay in the land. I don't want you to run to Egypt, God is saying. I don't want you to trust in anyone or anything beside myself. Remember, Egypt was fertile, had all these, you can sort of start to see them, big rivers that made land more, you know, able to be planted. And it was, what's the word, lush and productive. And so it was very tempting. The out for the people of Israel, oftentimes, as I just recounted for you, was when things got tough, go to Egypt. Oh, my. Isn't that what happens in the church a lot of times? Lord, you didn't do what I asked you to. I prayed this prayer, and I told you I needed that answer by two weeks from now, and you didn't answer me. I'm going back to Egypt. Are you even real? I'm going back to the things that I used to do and the things that I enjoyed. I'm going back to Egypt. It took faith and trust and obedience. Are you catching this? To not run and pick up the people, his people he loved, his wife and his kids, and go there. You get it? It took some trust. You're going to go through some lean times. There's a famine. But trust me, I don't want you to go. It's best for you if you don't go. And you you now, think about what he was seeing in Gerar. The caravans coming down through the south, from the north to the south. People who were going to Egypt because a famine was coming. Are you with me? And he probably saw, you know, you know, sun umbrellas and coolers and lawn chairs or whatever we have now and can jam and swimming or whatever. Uh, maybe they had uh, containers that they were going to contain all of the goods that they were going to grab and hoard. And they were just walking by. Hey, Isaac, you guys, you want us to wait for you? Are you guys coming? No, the Lord asked us to stay here. Stay here? Are you out of it? There's going to be no food soon. Don't you care about your family? And that's what was happening. And that's always the way of the world, isn't it? The way of the world is to me first. Don't, what do you mean obey the Lord? He's good. Has you obeying that? Noah. Can you imagine Noah? I want you to build an ark. Cause it's going to rain. It hadn't rained yet, folks. He didn't even know what rain was. 120 years. You know, boom, 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 boom. Every day, the neighbor's coming by. What are you doing? I'm building an ark. 
It's been 40 years. Don't you? And that's the way of the world. It tries to dis, uh, deter you from the obedience to the Lord, doesn't it? And here he says, stay in the land. God knew what was best for Isaac. If you studied the life of Isaac, you probably would say, wow, the Lord knew what he was doing. Don't go down there, man. The culture is going to burn you. You're going to get all out of place, off track. Uh, the line might be disrupted, but don't go down there. That's probably what you'd say if you studied the life of Isaac. But the Lord appeared to him. That's interesting. The Lord showed up. This was important. He said, do not go down to Egypt. And that just is a word to us. The Bible says that we're not to love the world or the things imminent. And that we are to be separate and apart. And that the things we do are going to make the world angry. And the things that we believe and say and adhere to, to give up our lives. The world would say, give up your life. You have to enjoy your life to the fullest. Feed all that you want and have or or need. Prop yourself up. Make yourself important and popular and live like you know what. And the Lord says, I want you to give up your life for mine. Wow, is that countercultural? Well, he says, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. And then immediately, immediately, do you see this? God doesn't just leave him there and says, I'm just, you know, a killjoy. God says, no, here's why. I, I, I want you to be set apart because... I want you to dwell this land because I'm going to be with you. See, that's the showstopper. That's the whole message of the Bible. God's presence. God's presence was with them in the first garden or the garden. And when we get to the end of the Bible, when all the different machinations of the end times happen, God's going to be with us in the garden. And now the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit of God, that we're the temple of God, that God lives in our hearts. It's his presence. It's not a bunch of rules or regulations that's going to make any difference in your life. If you're just a rule follower, a principle person, although we want to obey, of course, And you miss out on God's presence, the joy of the Lord, uh, Him with you and you with Him, and the discourse that you have through His Word, by His Spirit. That's how you grow and you become settled. See, you become secure in the Lord. He patches up the things that are insecure. Fear flees in the presence of the Lord. And he says, I don't want you to go to the land. Everybody else is saying, are you out of your mind? The Lord says, I'm going to give you my presence. I'll be with you. Don't worry what other people say. Here I am. So he says that. So he gives them the promise. I'll be with you and I'm going to bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. Mark that down. 
Go back to Genesis 12, go to Genesis 15, 17, etc., etc. Because God kept telling Abram and Sarah over and over again, here's the promise, here's the promise, here's the promise. It's as if humans need to be reminded of the promises. And of course we do. So he says it, and this is what settles the heart. I mean, this is what allows you to stand up. It's not your self-help effort. It's not me. I can do it. You better watch that attitude. I better watch that attitude. Take heed lest you fall. That attitude is so self-righteous and so, here's a great theological word, icky. I mean, it is gross. Don't you hate it when you become self-righteous? Who here has become self-righteous? I'm raising my hand, my toes, everything. It becomes awful. And it's not about that. It's about the presence of the Lord. And I would suggest that this entire chapter is going to speak to you in a new, well, it's not new, but hopefully you're going to see it, That this whole chapter, the Old Testament, wait a minute, the Old Testament speaks of God's grace. It's dripping with God's grace. Watch this. So he says, I'll do this. And hey, Isaac, you remember all those promises I gave to your dad and I kept telling them to your dad and all those things? You know what God's saying right here? Isaac, laughter. Those all travel with you. You have them too. Now, let's just do a little side trail here. Oh, somebody doesn't want to do it. I heard that. (laughs) Let's do a little side trail here. He's the son of the promise in the Old Testament. He's in the line of the sign of the promise. But I I want you to see something about you. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ... Raise your hand in your heart. Just, oh Lord, thank you so much for saving me by your grace. And then read this to yourself. Ready? It's chapter 1 of Ephesians. Do you think that you are a child of promise if you're in Christ? Listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with just a few spiritual blessings so that you can barely scrimp by and get over the hurdle. Nope, doesn't say that. It says, it's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And it, Paul is so excited here like me. I'm yelling. Paul is just writing a run-on sentence. Like, I can't get this out of the, the ink out of here fast enough. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame. And not just before him, but before him in love, having predestined us to adoption. Adoption, folks, you've been brought into a family as sons and daughters by Christ himself. According Why? Why did God do all this? How did God do all this? Why did God do this? This this should be preached at every junior high. Everyone, go round up the junior hires or younger and read them this. Why does God care to save you? Listen to this. 
because of His good pleasure, of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. I'm picking on middle schoolers, but a lot of us adults need to hear this as well. We're accepted now. We have purpose and meaning. In Him we have redemption. And I could keep going on for a whole nother chapter. I'll let you do that tonight. What I'm trying to show you is, you've been given promises, and you've been given His presence. And God wants to settle your heart as you learn to obey Him. You say, well, wait a minute. You told such and such to go over there. And you told me to stay here. I don't like that. Isaac said, okay. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. The Bible in the New Testament tells us that He's the captain of our salvation. Who's here been in the military? You ever had a captain? If you had a captain, did you tell the captain to go uh, pound salt when he told you to do something? No, you did it. You did it. He's the captain of our salvation. He gives us promises. We have his presence. We have his promises. Folks, we live like paupers. When we're the richest people spiritually there ever be. Well, he gives them these promises, and he says, and I'll make your descendants, multiplies as a star, keeps going. I'll give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. His dad. You understand. You say, well, okay, you want to talk about grace here, pastor. Well, if you get the promise, live any way you want to. Now, come on. Abraham here lived a life because God had made a covenant with him. He lived a life of godliness because God had made a covenant with him. And oh, by the way, he had his ups and downs in faith, didn't he? Some of them you read and you're like, that's the father of the nation? Mm. But then you're reminded, that's probably what people are saying about me and you. So praise the Lord. But listen, when you discover the present, the grace of God and God's presence, you do want to obey. And Paul speaks of it in such eloquence. I will just point you there in chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight of the book of Romans. Go read it. It's beautiful. So, Because Abraham obeyed. You say, yes, because he's a covenant liver. We just took the symbols of the covenant that uh, Christ made with us. It's the covenant of grace that he wrote in his blood. He didn't use a blue or a black ink or a chisel. He used blood. Because that's grace. That's sacrifice. And because of that, our reasonable response is to obey the Lord. That's where we show our love to him, by obeying, because he knows what's best, and we don't. And when he says stay, we stay. And when he says go, we go. 
When you leave the choice to God, it's always the best option, isn't it? Well, anyway, he moves on and it says, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. I find that interesting. It's close to Egypt, but not quite. Isn't that what we do a lot of the times? We get right up to the line. You know, when you're in the youth group pastor, you know, you get this question all the time. Now, just exactly what music can I listen to? I mean, am I allowed to hold her hand or not? And what's interesting, and you get, you can go on to all kinds of different scenarios there. What's interesting is a lot of people want to know how close to the line they can get without going over it. I think what the Lord is saying is, I'm giving you the freedom to live way away from the line, all the way up into the land of promises. You get that? If you don't get that, write it down and meditate on it. So he dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife. Here it comes. Can you believe this? He's got the presence. He's got the promises. And they ask about his wife. And here it comes. It's almost like you're saying, no, don't. And he said, well, she's my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. What is he? He's a, he's a scaredy cat. He's afraid. He's fearful. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac, his name means what? Laughter showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife, so how could you say she is my sister? Now, you, you get this, right? Paul said this, didn't he? Paul said this. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul said. Amen? As Paul was discipling people, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, In our times, we don't have always people outside of our homes who we're discipling. Maybe we do. I hope we start being more intentional in that regard. I hope you're discipling somebody, and I hope somebody's discipling you. But until that time, the people in your home, you're discipling. And whether you say it or not, as you follow the Lord, your own self... Dad, mom, what you do oftentimes shows up in your kids. (laughs) I'm thinking in my life how that's happened. But it shows up. And here, this thing that his dad did, his dad lived a faithful life 
But his dad had times when he was not very faithful. And two of the greatest times when he was not very faithful, when he didn't treat his wife well, showed up in his son. The son of promise. And he did this despicable thing where he put his wife into peril and made her vulnerable to people who were the enemies of God. And just like the time that Abimelech talked to Abraham, probably wasn't the same Abimelech, 40 years later or so, probably a different one, probably a different dynastic person, king, The pagan king showed the person of God what it was to respect and love and honor his wife. What a rebuke. Oh, my. And I want you to see something here. He looked through a window, Abimelech did, and saw laughter, Isaac. And what's really fascinating about this, at least to me, His mind says showing endearment to Rebecca. It's another root word for laughter. And some even believe, some language experts even believe it was uh, marital relations. And that the king was looking down and knew instantly that this wasn't a son, or excuse me, a sister and a brother. This was a husband and a wife for sure. And that there was laughter laughing with his wife, enjoying with his wife. That's what it says. It's a play on words. And here's a little rabbit trail, (laughs) but I think one that's important is that marriage is tough. Would you people say that or not say that? Yeah, marriage is tough sometimes, right? Uh, We don't always act the best. Sometimes we can act downright despicable. I see a couple people elbowing out there. But one of the things I think that's important for you and your wife is to laugh and to enjoy sometimes. Not to be so serious all the time. Not everything is a federal case. That there's a place for play and enjoyment and enjoying each other and different things. And it helps. And you should schedule those times, whether they're a date night or a vacation together or a weekend away. Instead of just saying, you know, I'm too important. They're going to miss me at work. And, uh, you know, I can't get away because, uh, you know, they need me. And I can't put my phone down because somebody might email me. And you know that uh, how important I am and uh, they can't get away without me. All right. But here, these two were enjoying one another. That's what it says. And that's healthy and good. 
between a husband and a wife, one man and one woman joined together in holy matrimony. And it had an impact, I want you to see this, on the pagan king. And the pagan king basically says, what are you doing? Isn't it supposed to be this high and holy thing? Isn't that your ethic there, Isaac? And you're bringing her in here and saying you're a sister? Why aren't you honoring her and telling us? We could have done something really bad that would have gotten us really in trouble with your God. What were you thinking? Here, the pagan guy holds up marriage higher than the Christ follower or God follower. Interesting. And it tells us, doesn't it, that God can use anyone or anything to speak into our lives and put us back on the right path. And Isaac said to him, oh, after he said, quite obviously, she is your wife, so how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And the implication here is he's a scaredy cat. But what's interesting here, and I want you to see where you start to see the gospel, is right here. You know what Isaac does that's really wise? He just admits it. He goes, you're right, man. What a fool I've been. You know what happens when people get caught in sin a lot of times? There's justification. The Lord says, just confess your sin. Now, I, the Lord says, I'm faithful and just, and I'll forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But the problem is we hide and avoid and justify. And here, Isaac does something that's really healthy spiritually. He just admits it. He just comes clean. I'm a chicken. How many of us would do that? Not a lot. And the Bible says when you do that, you can get healthy. But until you do that, you won't. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, I love this one. It's in the realm of going to court with people, but it has application here. Jesus says, hey, just do this. Instead of justifying, avoiding, hiding your head in the sand, making excuses, Just agree with your adversary very quickly. And here you see it. Repentance. Isaac just says, whoa, when confronted by a pagan, instead of saying, who are you to tell me? I'm the son of promise. He goes, you're right, I'm a chicken. I admit it. Now we've set the stage, or he's set the stage. The Lord can do it. The Lord can work. And so it goes on. And Abimelech said, well, What is this you've done to us? One of the people, by the way, this is ironic. (laughs) The Bible says in Ephesians that husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives. Isn't that interesting? Like Christ died for the church or sacrificed for the church. So in the very central part of the gospel here, that's reflected in the marriage, listen, Isaac failed 
like the test. Like if you were grading on a scale of zero to 100, he just got a zero. And instead of avoiding it, he just goes, you are 100% right. I'm a chicken. So Abimelech said, well, what is this you've done? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land. This just seems, is this the right word? Somebody who's better wordsmith than me. This just seems incongruous here. I mean, this seems out of order. This seems like this is, I see a couple of you wordsmiths, so. This just doesn't seem right to me. Wait a minute. Vulnerable wife. I'm a scaredy cat. I admit it. If I was writing the Bible, verse 12 wouldn't have been put right there. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Some of us are going, wait a minute. The jerk. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper. What? And continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possession of flocks, possession of herds, and a great number of servants. And the Philistines envied him. They saw it and they envied him. He lived right near them. Watch. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. You're much mightier than we. You see, our, listen, we're wired to be people of merit. We're saying in this story as we go along, he doesn't deserve to be blessed. I'm mad because he's getting blessed. I don't want him to be blessed. He was such a jerk. And there's the gospel. We're Isaacs. Oh, maybe you didn't put your wife in a vulnerable position. But we're sinners by nature and by deed. And some of the despicable things we've done. And then you see that for our sakes, the richest of the rich, Jesus, became poor. The lowest of the low, Psalm 22 says a worm, so that we could become rich. You go, whoa, grace, mercy. See, I think if we get mad right here, which I do sometimes, we don't fully understand grace. Grace isn't an excuse to do what you want. Grace is a training grace that leads you into godliness, and yet God lavishes his blessings upon those who are found in Christ. Amen? And when you're found in Christ, you begin, and you want to now, Obey and do godly things, but sometimes you don't. And if you confess your sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive your sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you hold on to them and you justify, you can never really get healthy here. 
Isaac just says, I was a chicken. I'll never forget it. I hope you don't either. And I want you to see that he, the, the, as he lived this out in a world that was against him, watch, if you're going to school and you wonder to know how do you make a difference, here it is. If you live or you work in an industry where there's no Christians around or a place where there's no Christians around, or you just wonder, am I ever making a difference? Do I, does anybody ever see what I'm doing? Does God see? Do people see? Am I making any difference? Well, when you live according to the grace of God, watch, people who are unbelievers notice. How in the world can that person be joyful today? Didn't they hear what the boss just told us to do or has been doing or acting like? Or the people in the PTA are such jerks, but that person just has a countenance of love and service. How? Why? Why are they so blessed? Why is there a peace in their heart that other people don't have? Why? And then you have them. Because they're going to come ask you someday. How are you so peaceful? Ah. It's like they're lobbing the softball up and you're just going to hit the home run right here. And you tell them, you say, well, because of Jesus Christ, he saved me from my sins. He convicted me of my sin. I gave my life to him. He paid the price for what was coming to me. And he, he lives and now I have a new life and the Holy Spirit lives in my heart and what's been replaced, fear, And anxiety and insecurity now comes in peace and love and joy. And I can't explain it other than it's the person and work of Jesus. You wanted to know. You asked me. You make a difference in people's life. And people notice. Then Isaac departed, look at this, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar. This is probably what's called in Israel a wadi. Anybody here know what a wadi is? They're little streams that run throughout the desert And if it rains a lot, which it rarely does, but if it does, they blow up and get real big and cause real problems. And you go visit wadis when you're there. Here they call it a valley. It's probably a wadi. And he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines and stopped them up after the death of Abraham. Time out. I want you to notice something. The son was digging the same wells that his dad had already dug. They watch in your house. These ones had been stopped up by the enemy, so he went back to the things that his dad did. You know what that wants me to do? Do my kids make sure I know I love the Lord, I'm practicing the disciplines of of prayer and praise and studying the word? Am I serving other people and loving them? Those are the wells that I want them to dig when they go out by themselves. You get it? When they leave at 18 or some cases later than that, are they digging those wells? Well, what's beautiful here is he did that or they did that and they, uh, Uh, Isaac called them by the names which his father had called them. That was a smart legal move because he was wanting to claim them, reclaim them. So he just called them what dad called them. And also Isaac's servants dug in the valley or at the wadi and found a well of running water. 
there. I think if you keep digging in the same wells that are properly dug, you're eventually going to find the living water. You're dry and dusty. Keep praising. Keep searching the scriptures. Keep serving. Jesus said in John 7, right? These torrents of living water would come flowing out of your life. Christianity, the most exciting there is, life there is. Well, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they quarreled with him. He called it Quarrel. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also, so he called its name Sitna, which means enmity or hatred. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they didn't quarrel over it, so he called its name. Did you know your favorite beach place was in the Bible? Rehoboth. Pittsburghers love Rehoboth, or Rehoboth probably is how you say it, or closer in the Hebrew, because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Now, if you think about this real quick, this is extraordinary. Here's why it's extraordinary. God had told Abraham that all these lands were Abraham's, which meant the promises flowed to Isaac, which meant where he was living was his. He could have walked in there and said, what? Excuse me? You're not letting me have my own wells? Uh, guards, lop off their heads or whatever, right? Or he could have fought, or he could have brought a lawsuit, or he could have quarreled. Or he could have argued, but look, he doesn't. He doesn't even say anything. What a picture of the gospel of grace, folks. You know what? I got a great theological term for you. Just let some things go. You always have to be over serious about everything as much as it's up to you. Listen, live in peace. I want you to underline this in your Bible. All. Men, not just the ones who believe everything you believe, not just the ones who are in your own political party, Ooh, just let some things go. Why do you have to fly out to Facebook and tell everybody off about this or about that? What is going on? Here, the owner of the land just says, oh, okay, and goes on. And I want you to see something. God honors it. You say, well, i got to stick up for my rights. I want you to know something. I, I know what you're saying, and I do agree with you, but I want you to know that the gospel is all based on Jesus giving up his rights for something greater and bigger You say, oh, you're preaching, don't speak up. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying sometimes just let some things go and love people. Here he just does. And you know what's wild? The Lord takes him into a spacious place where there's room for everything and everybody. It's amazing. Now, I'm not preaching universalism. The Bible says you come to the Lord one way. Through Jesus Christ, no doubt. But man, he finds a place for you. You don't think so? 
Read John 14. Well, then he goes up from there to Beersheba, a place that he and his father had been before and had spoken to the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Don't fear, for I'm with you. Don't fear. I got to tell you this. I know we're running over, but I got to tell you this because if he's saying don't fear, that means there's a tendency to fear. Get it? And I want you to know what happens when fear comes. Watch. In order to understand what it is to trust the Lord, I think you have to know what the opposite of trusting the Lord is. Has anybody ever been fearful? And there's a whole bunch of different responses. Here's one response. One response is to just stick your head in the sand and ignore the thing that's coming. And so you're unprepared. Uh, you don't even want to deal with it. And the thing that's coming or situation that's coming just sort of overruns you and you're blindsided and you're wrecked for a long time. Amen? But the other response to fear is, oh, we got to do something. We got to do something now. That's me. This is my response. I got to do something right now. I'm going to fix this. This is not going to happen on my watch. So I'm going to uh, talk to this person. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do that thing. And when I get done with this, everything's going to be fine and great. And then what happens is I screw it up and it's all tangled and I can't untangle it. And I've made a mess. We manipulate the things that are coming down or the situations as opposed to trusting the Lord, just letting him work it out as we walk it out, right? There's another, there's another response to fear. Attack. Oh, wait a second. There's a threat on the horizon? Well, I'm going to stand up and just meet force with force. And all my spiritual and psychological and emotional abilities and intellectual abilities, I'm going to attack that person and I'll get them back. And they'll feel it. And then they'll just leave us alone. Amen? Or, right, we cower. And fear can really jam us up and mess us up. But here, the opposite of that is trust. He says, don't fear, for I'm with you. Opposite of fear, trust. I'll bless you and multiply. Look, he gives them another promise or tells them the promise again. Multiply your descendants because of Abraham. So he built an altar there. When he was fearful, he worshipped, just like his daddy. He was digging a well. Man, parents, we have a big job. So Abimelech came to him from Gerar with one of his friends and a commander. And he said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and you've sent me away from you? But they said, hey, we certainly seen that the Lord is with you. See, they all watch. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you'll do us no harm since we've not touched you and since we've done nothing but good and sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. They recognized and people will recognize in you, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. So he made them a feast. He was very generous. You generous with your enemies? Take a look at the Sermon on the Mount this evening. And they ate and drank, and then they arose early in the morning, swore an oath, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug, and said to him, We found water. So he called it Sheba, 
Therefore, this name of this city is Beersheba to this day. There it is in the red. And then they just have this little tag here. <laughs> when Esau was 40 years old, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Basemath, what names, the daughter of Eli, the Hittite, and they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. He didn't do what the, you know, he went for double wives, and he didn't go and marry somebody in the family of God. You see that? And that's a little tagline. And so I think this has a lot of different messages, but one other lesson I want to close on, I remembered. And if you don't remember anything, I really want you to remember this. You know what's amazing about this chapter? Like it is in almost every one of the patriarchal chapters. There are things here that the Lord has specifically for Isaac. Don't fear. Trust. Tell the truth. Repent. Amen? Specifically for Isaac. And because the Lord knows that Isaac has a tendency, like all of us, to get off the rails of godliness, he then gives sort of overarching truths, like linking Isaac to the big picture of what God is doing. So there's looking right at the little things, and then God zooms back out and links Isaac's life to the plan that's bigger than Isaac. Everybody with me? And you can see it in here. He says, I'll be with you and bless you for you and your descendants. I'll give these lands. I'll perform, right? You with me? And see, there's this tendency in the church. I just got to say it. I know it's none of us. But there's this tendency in the church to be all about me. The gospel's all about me. I want to make sure the pastor's good. You came to the wrong place for that. I learn something every week. He better be clever. I don't like it so serious. I want him to make some jokes. If they play that song, I'm not going. If they have that pastor, I ain't doing it. If they don't have programs for my kids, no way. And we come to church and the gospel is about me. It's not Christ-centered. But then we have other people in the church They feel like, and it's a problem. We actually studied it in the uh, Middle Ages today in Bible college. They believe in a form of deism. God put the world in motion, put some people into the world, and then God stepped back from what he put in motion and said, have at it. And the problem with that is we believe in a personal God. God comes into our story, of course he does, with Jesus, and he cares for us. He knows the hairs on our head, right? But some people don't. And people in the church find themselves oftentimes in this camp. They only had four coconut donuts down there today. Look how many people are. Everybody likes coconut. And then other people are saying, you know what? I'm not sure God cares for me. I feel lonely and I, I don't know. It seems as if We just serve a God who just sort of put us in motion and doesn't really respond, and I don't know if he cares. And we can get into both of those patterns. Amen? I'm the pastor, and I'm raising my hand. 
And I want you to see what God does for Isaac. Isaac gets some specific attention in this chapter so that he'll reject deism. God doesn't say that. But God becomes personal to him. He speaks with him. He talks with him. He appears to him. He does things for him. But then God links his life to the overarching story of God's whole redemptive plan so that he protects you and I against coming at the gospel as it being all about me. Are you catching what I'm trying to say here? Maybe not. Here's what I'm trying to say. God cares about you and your story and your family. But I got news for you. It's not all about you. It's really all about Him. And as we sit for an hour and a half or two hours and we deny self and we look up to the Lord and we sing to Him and we sort of link arm to arm, yes, as a family, but we Get away from the self-life. It's bigger than just my little white picket fence, my 401k, and my vacations. <laughs> well, maybe I'm not getting through, but I want you to see how loving God is. He knows that's our, our, um, our, our tendency, is to move into those places where we can be selfish about the gospel or we could be let, feel left out in the cold and God addresses both with this patriarch and he wants to do it for you so that you have a balanced spiritual life. As you pour out your heart to him, he patches up the things in you, but he wants you always to remember you're part of something way bigger than just a nine to five. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We come here this morning, such great things. Uh, Lord, here, Lord, help us to be people who repent and admit and ask for forgiveness and thank you for forgiveness and Come clean so that you can heal us. Help us to be people that put you at the center of the gospel instead of us. And help us to know and learn that you're a personal God who enters into our stories and links us to this big redemptive purpose, this big program for eternity. Lord, help us to be people that don't always have to give everyone a piece of our mind. That we're quick to listen and slow to speak by Your Spirit. That we love people well, even if those people don't believe the same things we believe. We ask it now all in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.